topic this week is out of Isaiah chapter 19, verse 31, Egypt. These two chapters uh, talk about Egypt. This is a picture I took, or was taken of me, in Egypt, right in front of uh, one of the pyramids there in, uh, in Cairo. Yeah, chapter, Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, the burden against Egypt. Now I should say, as we read this chapter, chapter 19, <clears throat> I really don't have anything really hardly to comment on it because uh, I don't understand it. <laughs> um, but I thought it was very important and, and uh, an important chapter of Isaiah uh, as it seems to be prophetic of things to come uh, because as we'll look at it, I haven't seen these things exactly as laid out in the chapter happen yet. And so that's kind of interesting. So to, to talk about what hasn't happened yet, I don't want to go beyond... Um, you know, what the Word of God says, or that can be understood through other parts of the Bible. And so if anyone has any insights of how this applies or where this fits, uh, feel free to share with me afterwards and, or sometime during this week, send me an email or whatever. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting chapter, that's why I wanted to look at it. But then we'll also look at chapter 31, and, uh, and that has some things that I believe we can apply to our lives today. And also in this chapter, not only do I not understand where it fits in, in Bible prophecy, I didn't really find anything that we could even glean, you know, a verse out of that, you know, can apply to us and that we can, uh, you know, feast on. But anyway, so it's an interesting chapter, and I did want to include it in the sermon series. I just didn't see how I could do it as a standalone. <laughs> but it fits with this other chapter about Egypt anyway. Okay, so the burden against Egypt, Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. Now, that certainly sounds like last days. Certainly sounds like the Lord coming. The, bird, the Lord rides on a swift cloud, right? He comes on the clouds. We have text that says that. Uh, it says his presence, it, Egypt will totter at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in his midst. So all that sounds very, those three aspects sound very last day, you know, ultimate Yom Kippur day, the coming of the Lord, um, uh, burden against Egypt. Verse 2, I will set Egyptian against Egyptian, Everyone will fight against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst. I will destroy their council, and they will consult with idols and charmers, the mediums and sorcerers. So that sounds like a civil war taking place. Right? They're going to fight against each other. And if not too long ago, Egypt did have a civil war, and then had a second civil war, what, a year or so later. Uh, and so this could have been prophetic of that. I'm not sure. Hopefully that's all, it all that this would be needed. Um, but this sounds more intense than that, especially as we go on. Verse 4. The Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. The waters will fail from the sea, and the river will be wasted and dried up. So a cruel master, well, again, for that year or so, they did have a pretty cruel master uh, from the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Morsi, but I don't necessarily know if that's a full fulfillment of this, but it sounds much more than, than that. Uh, and especially if we take the literal verse 5, the waters fail from the sea and the rivers will be dried up. Uh, that didn't happen. That could be you know, prophetic terminology there, but even in that way, we really didn't see that kind of take place in that year. So again, all of this seems that it's still in the future. And also historically, any time before this, I don't necessarily know of any time where this, as it's written here, 
taking place, especially when verse 1 clearly indicated it's talking last day type of scenarios. So, uh, verse 6. The rivers will turn foul, the brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up, and the reed and rushes will wither. So very similar to verse 5. Verse, and then continues with that whole theme of withering and barrenness and you know, the river dried up and no food and things like that. Then jumping to verse 16, because uh, everything between that is basically saying again the same thing. Verse 16, in that day, and we've seen a lot of times in Isaiah, he says in that day, he's referring to last days. So in that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. Again, sounding very much like last days scenario. The Lord waving his hand, the Lord coming in that day, all being afraid and fearful. Verse 17, the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. Everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. That is very interesting. So Egypt and the Egyptians are going to be trembling and fearing because of Israel, because of the Jews. They'll be afraid because of the counsel of the Lord, which the Lord has determined against Egypt. So very interesting. Verse 18, in that day, again, last day type of phrase, in that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. Well, that sounds great. One will be called the city of destruction. Now, I don't get that. If there are five cities and they're, and they're, they're, they're swearing by the Lord of hosts, why is one of them called the city of destruction? And so that, no doubt, is, is some prophetic terminology there. That, uh, that I'm not getting yet. Um, so again, very interesting things. So five cities, land, speaking the language, no doubt, or I shouldn't say no doubt, but sounds very prophetic. In that day, verse 19, still chapter 19, in that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Now, even if you look at that, some, some prophetic stuff, you know, you want to add in there and look at the five days as maybe prophetic and the city of destruction in a prophetic uh, way. This is pretty plain in a, to say that Egypt, no doubt not everyone, but Egypt is going to come to the Lord. Hey, hallelujah is right. He's going to send them a savior and a mighty one, and, a and he will deliver them. And they will build an altar to him, and it will be a sign and a witness of the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. So you're talking about, you know, again, a cruel ma a civil war, a cruel master. They're fearing uh, what the Lord has pronounced against them because of what the Jewish writings, because of Judah has said it regarding them, and uh, there's desolation in the land, and troubles in the land, and famine in the land, for want, and they come to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord, right? for they will, they will cry out to the Lord because of the oppressors, and he'll send them a savior, and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Very powerful. Verse 21, then the Lord will be known to Egypt 
and to the and the Egyptians will and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offerings yes they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it so again sounds very much uh, Egypt and again one way Egypt can be looked at, okay, literal Egypt, the Egypt and the Egyptians is still there today. Or Egypt at times has been looked at prophetically, uh, symbolizing um, sometimes uh, in prophetic in Daniel Revelation, sometimes looked at as, as uh, atheism, uh, being resistant to, to the Lord. When we look back at Pharaoh saying, uh, Moses comes and says, the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? I don't know your Lord. So a total denial of the Lord God. And so sometimes Egypt can be looked at that way. So even if that way, even if Egypt is this, you know, atheist out there, talking about a mighty coming to the Lord, drying up of their resources and a turning to the Lord in a big way. Um, so the Egyptians will know in that day again that they will know the Lord in that last days. And they will make sacrifices and offering to him. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and they will follow through with it. Not just words, but they will follow through with it. And so that is very powerful. So last day awakening taking place. Verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt, and he will strike and heal it, and they will return to the Lord. And he will be entreated by them and heal them. That's powerful. So in these last days, there will be a revival taking place. Again, whether in literal Egypt, or the symbolic Egypt of uh, denial of the Lord, atheism, basically. Verse 23, And in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyria, Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And that, again, is mind-blowing. So the Assyrians, who are always at war with Egypt and Israel, stuck in the middle in their wars, whether it was the, the Assyrians or Egypt, or then later on when, when uh, the Greek Empire divided up and you had the north and the south, uh, the area where Assyria was and the Egyptians fighting against each other. And no doubt it's not talking about the literal Assyrians, because there are no more literal Assyrians. But Assyrian can look as in Daniel 11, it talks about the king of the north and the king of the south. We can have some of that kind of analogy there. But nonetheless, it's talking about a reconciliation going on. And them serving each other and meeting together each other. And then this next text is the most mind-blowing, I think, of everything so far. Verse 24, and in that day, so he's used that term lots of times through this chapter, in that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. Wow, yeah, right. That is mind-boggling. Again, I don't think it's talking about literal Egypt, uh, because again, Assyria, well, there is no Assyrians. But that this bringing together, and Israel in the midst, the Jewish people, and no doubt, believing Jewish people, believing in the Messiah Jewish people as his inheritance. And so you have Egypt possibly representing, again, atheism, and you have Assyria, the north, uh, where Babylon came through also, could be represented there also. And Babylon, last day of Babylon, which is confusion in religious 
circles, and not so much of the literal countries, uh, but what it symbolized, because again, those, they changed over and changed over. But the north representing Babylon, Babylon was false religion. Religion, not denial of religion, but false religion. Uh, false gods. And, and so you have the false religious um, north, and you have the atheistic south, and Israel, and, and a revival taking place among atheism. Could be, again, interpretation of it, possible. Uh, but any way you look at it, uh, it's pretty amazing. And God having Israel in the midst and being that bridge to bring the two sides together and bringing it together. And so you can't have, uh, uh, again, Syria, the north could represent, again, uh, Christianity, which is missing some aspects, and then coming together and, and atheists throwing the Bible out together and, and Israel bringing it all together. Judaism bringing it together. Not just Judaism, but Judaism that brings in the whole Bible. Complete Judaism. Bringing the whole thing together, which then makes sense to all the atheists that have been rejecting the Bible because it, they've only been taught a portion of it. You know, whether they, they were Jews and became atheists because, hey, you know, it didn't fulfill, or because they were Christians and it was missing so much um, for them. And so then when they see the whole thing together, the whole Bible together, then it makes sense and lived out. And so that being that bridge and bringing it all together. Anyway, interesting uh, things are no doubt still to take place in this world before the Lord comes and as we prepare for that. So that's Isaiah chapter 19. Any more insights on that, feel free again to write me, talk to me, whatever. Um, okay, chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Verse 1. Chapter 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So woe. And Israel did that in the time of Isaiah, trusting in literal Egypt at that time, as the Assyrians were coming in and attacking, and they would rely on Israel to defend them. And later on, when Babylon came in, they were relying on Egypt to protect them. And so God's prophesying here through, through Isaiah, woe to us when we rely on Egypt or when we rely on the things of this world, especially when we do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. All right, sometimes we need to look, get some help from Egypt or get some help from a repair person or get some help from... Uh, a friend, or get some, you know, we need help from time, at times. But the problem is not just needing help or getting help, but relying on the human help in place of the divine help. Our divine help comes from the Lord. Now, God will use, sometimes he'll use a doctor, or he'll use a lawyer, or he'll use a mechanic, or he'll use a plumber, you know, he'll use a friend, he'll use someone with some advice, he'll use, you know, he, help can come, in various different forms. But it's still coming from the Lord and not from our employer, not from our government. He uses those things, but it comes from the Lord. All blessings come from the Lord. Everything we have comes from the Lord. And so woe to us when we forget that. Woe to that us when we panic in some situation and we get frantic calling the 911 and calling the AAA or, you know, whatever, uh, 
frantic and not praying at the same time. You know, if your house is burning down and you need to call 911, feel free to do so, but at the same time be praying in your mind, Lord, help me, Lord, get them here quick with water and hoses, you know. Uh, but the problem here is not just the relying on horses, but not trusting the Lord, not looking to the Holy One of Israel, nor seeking the Lord's help and the Lord's advice and the Lord's direction. And the Lord is able to do miraculous things at times without doctors, without lawyers, without firemen, without policemen, without mechanics, without uh, computer techs. God can do amazing things as we trust him as well. Now, I wouldn't say then never, you know, call for advice or help. Um, but sometimes the Lord, even as we trust and pray and then call for the help, before they even ha- the human instrument even arrives, God has already solved the problem. Um, so, a woe to us. And certainly, that applied then, and certainly that text applies to us in every age. And we've seen that problem down through the ages. And no doubt we've seen it in our own lives, right? How many times you go to just do a little repair. Oh, I just got to change this light bulb. It'll take me a second, you know, and I can do this. And the thing breaks in your hand, you know, and now it's stuck up in there. And then you forget to shut the switch and you shove the screwdriver or the thing. And problem after problem after problem. Right? Because we weren't even trusting in the Lord for every little thing. Right? We need to start the day dependent on the Lord, trusting in the Lord uh, at all times, and dependent upon him, an attitude of dependence upon him. Without him, we can do nothing. Nothing. Right? If you think you can do even something without the Lord, try a simple thing. Let's start with a simple thing. Yes, as I was going to say, try, try breathing. I mean, that's very simple, right? It doesn't take much thought, right? So next five minutes, try to breathe without the Lord, okay? Just try that. And if you can do that, well, hey, that's pretty good. Um, we can do nothing without the Lord. We can't breathe. We can't think. Our heart won't pump. We are nothing without the Lord. Verse 2. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster, the Lord is wise, and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. So the Lord will work against those trusting not in him. The Egyptian are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who is helped will fall down. They all will perish together. Wow. Right, so we trust in the world and trust for human help and trust to our parents and trust to our siblings and trust to our children, trust to our Social Security, trust to our pensions. We trust in the things of this world Not only will they fail us, but we will fall as well. We will be disappointed. They will make mistakes. They won't be perfect. 
They will have human errors and human failings and technical errors and technical problems and sinful problems and sinful errors. And there will be prejudice and there will be um, favoritism and there will be dishonesty and there will be slander taking place if we're trusting in our boss or we're trusting in, in the company or we're trusting in the mayor or we're trusting in the city and we're trusting in the in the facilities, and we're trusting in the electric company, or trusting in the water company. If we put our trust in these things, they will fail us. And then we will fall as well. We will fall being angry and disappointed. They promised me. I signed that contract. They said they were going to come through. They weren't supposed to raise the rates. Then why did they change this? Why aren't they coming and fixing it? Why are they charging me extra for fixing it? I paid all this money. I, I, I laid out all this cash to begin with. And now it's $150 for a service call to fix the broken thing that they sold me. And $50 even just to come out before they even look at it. We'll get angry. We'll get disappointed. And we will fall if our dependency is on human intervention and human help. And again, in this scenario where you're talking about Israel depending on Egypt, it's because they're being attacked by somebody else. <laughs> and so when we have problems and we're being attacked by someone, and we're dependent only on someone else to help us against that other somebody else, without depending on the Lord through that time, and if the Lord chooses to use the Egypt or whatever to help us out, then hey, praise the Lord. But our dependency has to be on God first, foremost, and always. And, and technically only. And when I say only, I don't want to get the impression, don't call the plumber. <laughs> but even as we call the plumber, we're trusting in God only to work through the plumber to work through the surgeon, or whatever. God still is our trust and our sole trust. And so you can thank them. Oh, thank you. You did a good job. You know. Um, but it was God who worked through them. And feel free to let them know that. It is God and God alone who works through human instrumentality. It is God that we trust in. Dependent on him him alone. We do that, and when we do that, it'll wipe out so many of the disappointments we go through. We'll still be disappointed. We'll still be let down. But we won't take it to heart. We won't be affected in the same way. There'll be disappointment. There'll be sadness over it. But we won't have to get discouraged. We won't have to get angry. We won't have to dwell on it day and night. Well, no. Well, they were human. They were flesh. They were failing. God is my trust. And if they couldn't solve it, God's got another plan. God's got a thousand ways out there to provide for my need. More than that, nothing is impossible for the Lord. It's in God we trust. As we look at Israel, when we came out of Egypt, trusting in Moses. And when we get to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is there, and the walls are there, we're disappointed, and Moses didn't let us down. It wasn't Moses' fault. Moses was following God's direction. The problem was we were depending on him and not on God.
And so we need to depend on God and God alone. And then God is able to part the Red Sea. Nothing impossible with him. But our dependence needs to be on him. So even when God is using, and we're depending on someone, a godly man like Moses, we're not to depend even on that, on God and God alone. And if they were doing that and just following Moses as Moses was following God, when we got to the Red Sea and the walls around us, we'd say, well, God must have a plan. <laughs> we're trusting in God. And we wouldn't be threatening to kill Moses and throw him into the sea. Our trust needs to be in God, not in our spouses. They promised me till death till they part. Our dependency is on God, not on human contracts, not on human promises, nor upon ourselves. We can be our own worst enemy, letting ourselves down, trusting in ourselves. You know, if you want something done, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Right? But even then, we can mess up. Trust not even in our own selves. Maybe especially not in our own selves. Trust in the Lord. I shouldn't say if you want something done right. If you want something done the way you want it done, <laughs> do it yourself. And even then, it doesn't always come out the way we wanted it done. But we trust the Lord. Put our trust in him. Otherwise, they will perish, and we will perish with them. Verse 4, the Lord has spoken to me as a lion roars, as a young lion over his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of the voice, nor be disturbed by the noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. The Lord will fight for us. Not dependent on horses and not dependent on flesh, not dependent on anything else. Dependent on God. And the Lord will roar and the Lord will fight for us. Again, I don't want us to misunderstand that. When the Lord fought... For David against Goliath, David still brought three stones with him and a sling. And he still twirled them around and he still swung them. We can't just sit there and say, oh, the Lord's going to fight. He's going to strike him down with lightning and I don't even have to do anything. And David still pulled out his sword and cut off his head. But our trust is in the Lord. And if the Lord chooses to fight using us, and I'm not talking physical fighting, but the Lord chooses to defend, the Lord chooses to work, However he chooses to do it, it's still the Lord who did it. The Lord will come down and fight for us and for its hill. And sometimes he comes down in the form of, again, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a, a police officer, an assistant, a fireman, or whatever way he chooses to come down and through. It's still the Lord who gets the glory. It's still the Lord who does it. The Lord, as Karen quoted earlier tonight, the Lord moves the hearts of men like he moves the rivers of water. The Lord is able to move. And it's God doing it. Verse 5, like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. 
circling us. The angel of the Lord encamps around about us and defending. He will also deliver it, passing over. He will preserve it. So he defends and he delivers and he preserves. The Lord wins. The Lord is watching over us. And more than just watching, standing guard. And more than just standing guard, he is winning the battle. And he will win in our behalf, as we put our trust totally in him. Verse 6, Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted, for in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, sin, which your own hands have made for yourselves. Throw away our dependency on our money. Throw away our dependency on our savings throw away our dependency on our, our abilities. Trust in the Lord. Throw away our distractions and our false theology. and Trust the Lord. Throw away the idols. And trust in the Lord. He will defend. He will protect. And he will preserve us. So, what have we been trusting in? Where has your trust been? Maybe look back to the last time you were disappointed. And if we were disappointed in someone or something, maybe that's an indication that that's where our trust was. That's where we were hoping on. That's where we were what we were counting on. That's who we were counting on. Because if we're counting on the Lord and not really counting on others, then we really won't be disappointed when they don't come through. We'll trust the Lord that he's got another way, another path, another plan. Because he will watch over. He will preserve us. He will defend us. Trust in the Lord. As we get ready to pray, you've been trusting in Egypt. You've been trusting in humans. You've been trusting in yourself. You've been trusting in some company or some organization. You've been trusting in some promises of people. You've been trusting in some pieces of paper contracts. You've been trusting in yourself, your abilities, your wisdom, your own knowledge your own skills, where has our trust been? Surrender it to the Lord. If you've been discouraged, if you've been angry, if you've been upset over failings or of our own or of others, let us put our trust in the Lord and move forward. He'll hover over us. He'll surround us flying over us like birds flying over watching over us. The eyes of the Lord are upon us. Protecting us. Preserving us. And delivering us. If you're needing strength, if you're going through some problem right now, and you're needing the assurance of his mighty arm, of his power to save, he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves us so much he gave everything. He gave heaven, he gave his son for us. Certainly, he will not forget us.
as Isaiah wrote and we read, can a mother forget her suckling child, even if she could? God will not forget us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He has engraved us into the palms of our hand, his hands. Our names are written and emblazed in the holes in his hands. He can't forget us. He was pierced for us. He'll never forget us. His eyes are always on us. His mind is, our name is always on his mind. He's standing guard, watching over us. So if you're needing some assurance, going through some problem, you're needing some hope, you're needing some faith, you're needing some trust as we move forward into this future, into this last day of earth's history. Let us put our trust wholly and completely in him as we pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. You care about each one of us as deeply as you care about yourself, as deeply as you care about the entire universe. Thank you, Lord, for putting us first before yourself. Lord, forgive us for not putting you first. Forgive us, Lord, for trusting in horses, trusting in chariots, trusting in the things of this world. Forgive us and cleanse us through the sacrifice of the Messiah. Wash us clean of all human dependency. Dependency on humans, dependency on organizations, dependency on things, dependency on money. We put our trust in you. And only in you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for washing us clean. Fill us with faith. Fill us with hope. Fill us with trust in you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.